Hello, and welcome to the Child Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Carol Tuttle, author of the best-selling book, The Child Whisperer. If you want to raise happy, successful, and cooperative children, you are in the right place today. Thanks for joining me, either live or on the recording of the podcast. The phones are open, and I look forward to supporting you in your parenting goals. You can call in at 347-677-1963. And press the number one, uh, the prompt, and that will put you in the queue. And I'd love to be able to help you today. So go ahead and give me a call. Now today I'm giving away a copy, one copy of my good friend um, and fellow blogger and a woman that wears many hats. Melissa Chapel is someone I featured recently on both of my blogs. She has a cookbook that I love called Faves. And this is available at her website at Melissa Chapel, and it's um, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-C-H-A, two P's, E, two L's, Melissa Chapel. So it's just really like chapel, but with an extra P and an extra L, dot com. And Melissa is a, she is a real food chef. She's known in the foodie world online as Raw Melissa. She's been teaching healthy eating and cooking with real food for many years now, and she has a great cookbook called Faze. And this, um, the contest that I ran was for a mom who sent in a question about mealtime challenges, and our winner today is Kelsey Zedwick. She has won a copy of Melissa's cookbook, Faves, and here's Kelsey's question. Hi, Carol. I'm a type 2 mom. And my type 4 six-year-old daughter takes a long time to work through negative emotions. She's often upset at dinner time for reasons like being told there's no movie time after dinner because the kids have watched enough movies for the day or because she had an argument with her four-year-old type 2 brother and she's still mad even though it seems like they've worked through it. My question is, do we disrupt our whole dinner to wait for her to process through whatever is bothering her? Do we continue with dinner and let her sit through through it with a terrible attitude? Or do we just release her from the table and let her play while we have a pleasant dinner? I don't feel that I can make her be respectful, but it seems like it could be a reasonable requirement for the dinner table. I'm tempted to excuse her whenever she is upset so that we can have a peaceful dinner and not sure this is the right thing to do. Um, well, in this case, again, you're looking at trying what's what's causing this ongoing upset? Anything that's a pattern that's presenting itself repeatedly, your child's trying to get through to you, send a message to you. Otherwise, the pattern wouldn't be so persistent. So this is a persistent pattern that she's showing up uh, bothered at dinner time. She's upset. And you said there's various reasons. And so I don't, my, my sense is you're not getting to the cause of the, of the true upset. Now, for example, if a type 4 child has a certain routine they're used to, they expect that routine unless you've informed them with enough time for them to understand the routine is changing. So to announce just before dinner that there's no movie time after dinner, and she's used to that being kind of a routine thing, then that needs to be outlined with more clarity with a picture um, approach to it, meaning, you know, Maybe you decide there's only so many nights a week that are movie time and she knows which ones are movie time and maybe it's only 
Tuesday and Thursday nights. But see, she, the way her mind works is to relate to things more in a big picture scenario of what routines and repetition can I count on. And so when you throw in thing, when things get changed last minute, it can be unsettling. And then that behavior can present it, carry through to the next event because they're angry and they're upset that they don't have what they have been counting on and expecting because it was changed. So what can you do with that situation? Uh, as far as having your child sit through dinner when they're upset, um, like I, I like to say with a type four child to send them to their room to be alone sometimes can look like, um, uh, sending Br'er Rabbit to the briar patch. <laughs> so they're like, fine, thank you. I don't have anybody around me. I mean, it's shaming, but it is a, it, solitude is not necessarily a huge sacrifice in their world. So the way it's handled can be shaming, which is not supportive to a child. But again, their uh, need for solitude, maybe they need some time by themselves. Maybe that's really the issue here. They're not, they don't have enough solitude time. Maybe they need some time by themselves before dinner. So they can come into a balanced place. You know, have you used any of the energy healing techniques I teach, like the spinal flush, to give her a good, you know, support her with the spinal flush, ask her to, you know, spend some one-on-one -on -one time with her. You've got to break the pattern. That's the goal here. You're trying to shift the pattern because now this has become her new routine, being upset at dinner. So what are you going to do different to shift this pattern? Because she's getting a lot of attention for it. So... Even if it's in a negative way, she's getting some need for attention um, accomplished there, even though it's not the kind of attention the child or any human being wants. It is some attention. And so your goal here is to break this persistent pattern first and ask the question, what's at the core of her upset? Or is it just her getting attention because she just doesn't feel her needs are being met? So... Learn the Spinal Flush. I've got that on a video at thecarolblog.com. And it's really easy to do. All you do is swipe your fingertips from the top of their spinal column around their neck below the back of their head all the way deep off the tailbone three or four times. Run that energy off. She may be open to everybody's emotional energy and picking up on a lot of other people's stuff and then she gets the brunt of it because she's the one processing it all. And then some solitude time. Give her some time um, to get centered, to be peaceful, to come to, to dinner happy rather than pointing out she's unpleasant at dinner. She's only six years old. Uh, help stage it so she can come to dinner pleasant and then say and give her validation for that. You're so pleasant at dinner. We love having you at dinner. She's getting a lot of focus on being the problem at dinner. And so you're, you're creatively shifting this so that she may not even notice. That would even be the best because she's quite young. And if you could just help her shift the pattern, that would be um, really supportive to her at such a very young age, you know. I'm sure she's a sweet little girl that you just adore and you want to see her uh, happy and pleasant and contributing to a pleasant family dinner. 
and so see her that way. What would your daughter look, what would that look like if she were in that space? What would she be saying to you? What would you be talking about with her? What would be your experience with her? That's how you create what you work, putting attention on what's desired, what's wanted, and get your emotional energy directed towards that, and that can shift the pattern because of your belief in holding space for that to now materialize. Thank you, Kelsey, for that question. And have fun with Melissa Chappell's book, Faves. Try out some of her recipes. I think you'll really enjoy those. So my topic today is how to talk to your child about puberty. And this is an area that I think if we were to, you know, over the decades and parents, even current parents, you're going to find a wide variety of complete neglect of this to maybe, uh, you know, just a huge spectrum of how people handle this. Big, big spectrum. So I want to, uh, again, offer support that it be handled in a way that's supported for you and your children. You're the one to discern what that looks like. So I'm going to uh, give you a kind of a taster here of what you could do. And then I'm going to be following up in the next couple of weeks with the blog post listing basically what are all the topics when it comes to puberty so that you have kind of this go-to reference to say, I'm not suggesting and it may not it may child the child, but at least you have a conscious awareness of saying, here's the possibilities, here's the variables, which ones will present themselves with my kids. I'm now prepared to have those conversations and to do it in a way that it's comfortable and it supports um, healthy growth and healthy learning. Because what's happening is with um, puberty is our bodies are changing when we're around anywhere it could be nine years old for some little girls. You know, you're looking at such a spectrum there, too. There's not a, a specific year that's consistent for every child, but there's a range. And it's in, during their tween years before that their bodies start to make these physiological changes that we for, refer to as puberty, the phase of puberty. And I know in my case, my parents were not equipped. This was... They neglected this uh, area of support, which I think was common. So I think what we're coming out of, what has been the common practice is to be, to feel the shame around it and the awkwardness around it and the embarrassment around it, and then uh, kind of bring that to the conversation with our kids that they then carry on that whole uh, imprint that this is awkward, embarrassing, or shameful. And that's what we want to release. We want to clear, clean that up. So it's just sort of like, yeah, it's part of life. It's part of who we are. Uh, let's deal with it in a way that's more practical, more honoring, and more kind and loving, and supportive to our kids. And so this question came in from a type 1 mom, and she says, I want to know what is the most energy-supporting way for me to teach my older girls about their growing bodies and prepare them for their first periods. I have a 12-year-old type 3 daughter and an 11-year-old type 2 or type 4 daughter. So we've got a lower movement, a higher movement, and a lower movement daughter. Do you have some type-specific advice? And likewise for boys. I have a type 2 15-year-old son who feels very odd with the effects of testosterone on his sweet, gentle personality. Um, I have a, first of all, I want to refer everybody to, and, and this is something, a, a more, 
a recent podcast, I answered a question about um, in the reference to answering tough, the podcast about answering tough questions. This would be a great go-to blog post as well. It's called The Talk, When, What, and How Our Kids Need to Hear About Sex. Now, that's I'm going to separate these two into two. There's puberty and then there's their um, sexual experience and educating them on that. There's sexual anatomy, their reproductive organs, all of that kind of fits in that category. Puberty is about more about the change occurring in their physiology and what's happening to them. And then again, for girls, the primary effect in their early teens or even before their teens is that you start menstruating. For boys, there's a lot more, you know, it's very hormonal. It's all influenced by hormones. Uh, there's a lot of things going on for both daughters and sons. And the blog post I'm going to be sharing in a couple of weeks will give you more specifics of possible topics from, you know, there's increased sex drive for boys. It's you've got nocturnal emissions. You've got um, their voices changing. You've got physical development for girls, them developing breasts. You know, there's just a lot. We all get more body hair in this period of time and how to open that up. And so I'm going to, what I'm going to give you today is just kind of like how to generally open up that dialogue and support them. And again, to lead with kindness, honoring, love, friendship, that they're comfortable with this. And to notice your own shame, embarrassment, or awkwardness around it, you've inherited that. That came from your background, your family system. What ha you know, how did your parents handle it? Do you, you know, if you were to give them a grade, A, B, C, or D, or F, how would you grade your parents? And again, uh, we've come from a cultural uh, experience that's, you know, imposed upon our, so we're not blaming parents, but we want to at least be aware and recognize how well did my parents do. If I were to grade them, you know, I'd basically give my mom an F. She gets an F. She failed. Uh, I don't blame her. I blame the fact that it was a time period that that's just kind of the common practice. I chose to improve it. I, I'd probably give myself a B. My kids might not. I don't know. But I, I at least made improvements. So what can you improve within your role as a parent based on your own personal experience? So that's a really good first place to start. How did my parents handle it? How would I assess that based on how they handled that according to your nature? What can I do different to improve this to raise the, raise the scale of um, giving it, you know, creating more value around this to be a positive experience. You know, my, my story, unfortunately, my mother did not prepare me for my menstruation experience. And she discovered some soiled underpants in the bathroom. And because I was so embarrassed, so scared, I didn't even go to her. She discovered this and doing the laundry and then approached me. That was too late. That was, um, she'd missed, that was a missed opportunity. I was now dealing with something that I didn't have the information, the resources, the awareness to, again, connect with my body in a loving way. Because what happens if children don't have the information, the resources, the support, they start to have an awkward relationship with their bodies. 
And that was, again, part of my ongoing dilemma that um, I didn't love my body. My body was, you know, it caused a lot of shame and embarrassment in my life. I went on to have a lot of weight issues in high school. I, I struggled for many years with body and appearance issues, uh, eating disorder that developed in my teen years. And again, those were missed opportunities for my mother. And so in the case of this, let me give you some general guidance for each of the four types. And then look to the blog post in a few weeks that you'll be, go to the childwhisper.com. My blog is on that website. We're going to get into more specifics about what are the different topics. You certainly want to prepare your daughters for this significant life change by educating them not only about their physiological changes, but all the resources that support women that make this experience more comfortable and just a kinder, a, a, a more doable experience for boys. Again, to, I think it's wise for my preferences, mothers to talk to daughters or to, together with mom and dad and fathers to talk to sons or together mom and dad. There's just that female to female, male to male to keep that in the mix. Um, of course, both parents can be a part of some of parts of the conversation. You'll know. You'll know with your children what will feel correct. Who's, who's, who's a part of this conversation? Who needs to be involved here? And, you know, again, with any, what does testosterone look like in a 15-year-old type 2? You know, it doesn't look like the world shows it, that it causes him to be really aggressive. It's not his nature. It just helps him develop into his more, it's helping him develop to become a man and to feel his own quality of um, manliness, his own energetic expression of that. See, so you want to, again, make that reference to, you You know, you are who you are and, and you're developing into that and it's just, it influences your, who you are in this way and to receive inspiration in that behalf. So in my general tips for type one, in the conversation that you write and give them information in small chunks, you know, if it gets heavy, they lose interest, they won't stick with you in the conversation and they'll disconnect. And so keep these conversations brief and fun. Make them fun. If, you know, with your type one kids, um, have some fun with it, you know. Make sure there's an opportunity to smile and laugh and enjoy each other. For type two, give them as much information as supports them and help them make a plan for being prepared for physical changes so that they're able to... Uh, be prepared in the timeline that supports them and ask them if they are uncomfortable about anything. You know, that's a great question in any scenario. Is there anything, does this make you uncomfortable in any way? And then invite them to ask any questions when they have that. You know, this isn't something you have like one talk about. This is something that you kind of cycle through over a series of years. You know, you, you almost, there's almost, you know, you've done a good job, I think, if you're Kids kind of roll their eyes and go, okay, we're going to talk about this again. Because you'd rather fall in the side of saying too much than not enough. But then to go, I, you know, to kind of agree with them and say, I know, you know. But I just want to support you that you really understand and love 
and it, it supports you in your life experience. Then type three, just get down to business. Just tell them what they need to know um, and why you're telling them that. You know, it's very practical and job done, you know. And they're kind of like, okay, thank you. And that why you want them to be prepared for or allow them to be able to talk about any experience that they're having. You know, for girls especially, this is a time period that as their bodies develop, there's such a vast variety, a spectrum of how girls develop that they're going to be comparing themselves to their peers, you know, and boys will too. So that's a part of the conversation you want to make sure you're continually addressing, you know, that how do you feel, you know, you have friends, how do you feel? Do you feel good about yourself? Are you feeling comfortable, you know, do you, you embarrassed, do you feel you're not enough, um, do you compare yourself to your friends and feel that somehow you're less than them? You know, and again, listen, don't try and just say, oh no, don't feel that way, I don't want you to feel that way. Listen to them and say, so you do feel that way, and, and I'm, you know, that must make you, how does it make you feel? Well, I feel really sad, you know, I feel that I don't have the body that my friend has, or they, this person gets all the attention, and they start to think it's about how they look and their appearance and their physicality. And, and so let them share that and process that and then recognize their feelings on it and say, how can I help you with that? Because give them your own experience and say, I don't want you to go through what I went through and take this many years to learn what I now, I now know. And I have to give a plug for dressing your truth here because it's a huge benefit to teenagers and preteens. So much value to help them create a sense of body and appearance confidence when they're moving into this phase where that's a big, big part of their experience. And you give them such a huge advantage to have, be equipped with those tools and a sense of style and a sense of how they want to look in the world. Really valuable. Okay, back to my list. Type four, initiate a conversation with them about it. Ask them what they already know. If they've been thinking about their bodies developing and changing, are, they, are there any resources you can help them with? Tell them that you're available to support them as their bodies grow and change and reassure them that these conversations are a private matter. And if you want to talk to their dad about it, ask their permission to share. Like this is with, you know, again, moms tend to lead these. Not always. The world's changing. There's so many uh, parents that do things, co-parenting. We've got dads more involved than ever. And so whatever parent talks to the child um, solo, make sure with the type 4 child, you've got their permission if you're going to share it with the other parent. But... Well, you, what you want to avoid is in this situation is you want to avoid being the second or third voice. <laughs> you know, you want to be on the front line of, because, and you, you want to give your children the information support they need. So if kids will tease each other about things and say things that leaves the, with the child that has the least information and the lack of confidence to feel the most shamed. And that's what you want to try and avoid. You really want to give your children a platform, a foundation of confidence about during this phase that they then move into their adult years intact without this wounding that they now have to heal. That so many of us have had to heal. You know, too many generations. It's just a lot of adults that have been wounded in this phase of life between 9 and 15 years old 
and a lot of wounding as far as this particular experience of our physical selves that we then have to repair and heal from as we move into our adult years and a lack of confidence and a lot of insecurity about how we feel about our bodies and how we look. And as you know, in my Dressing Your Truth, um, the Dressing Your Truth experience that we sell for both women and men that can be very easily adapted to children and teens, it's a huge, it was one of the main reasons I produced this program because of the, the shame that we have that we don't need to have. And it gives you the tools to now heal that and to look amazing, to look great every day of your life. And if you're new to this world of dressing your truth, I encourage you to first go to um, try my free beauty profile course where I took energy profiling and I, I uh, modified it a bit to speak to women and our type of beauty. And I have a free course at dressingyourtruth.com. So if you don't know your energy type yet, you'd like to get more involved in Dressing Your Truth, go to DressingYourTruth.com. And the men's link, if you go to the carolblog.com, you'll see links to all of these resources. So I invite you to do that. The phone lines are open. If you're uh, really, I know there's a lot of you that want to chat with me. Now's a good time. Yeah, I, I make myself available nearly every week for live callers. And I invite you to have the confidence to call in at 347-677-1963. Press the number one on your phone. I'd love to help you today. Uh, my next question is a from a type 2 mom, and her type 3 eight-year-old daughter is such a go-getter. If she can do it, she will. I'm really learning to appreciate this and jump in with her on many adventures. She is very interested in makeup. I've let her experiment a little just for fun and we made an agreement together that she can wear whatever makeup she chooses when she turns 12. However, every time I leave the house without her, she gets into my makeup bag and applies her own makeup. She puts on eyeshadow, mascara, lipstick, etc. How do I age appropriately honor her desires? I asked her why she does it, and, she, and her reply is, I just love makeup, and she is already allowed to wear her own lip gloss. I'm not sure what to do. Thank you. Okay, so my, I agree with you. I don't, um, I, it's very too, way too early for an eight-year-old to be wearing makeup outside of her own home. So if you can see this more as a dress-up experience inside the home, that she's still in the childhood phase of playing dress up. I wouldn't be okay with her just getting into my makeup uh, without permission. I would let her have a, her own little in-house makeup kit that she can only play with. This is just for play and having fun. She's still a, a little girl. Uh, maybe go buy a few things that she can just have for playtime. But it's not to be worn outside. It's for playtime. Uh, it's not okay to get into mommy's makeup when I'm gone. That's my makeup, and you did not ask permission. We respect, um, we want to be respectful to, div div to the family member's property, that we just don't go get it when we want it. I think that's a valuable lesson that she needs to learn a boundary here, and that she can then have fun with this in her own home. And quite, I think if you'll just kind of like let her go for it, she'll probably move on to something else is I'm a type three 
and we tend to overdo things, then lose interest. So let her overdo it <laughs> and she'll lose interest. It'll come back into balance by the time she's 12. She may get to the point by the time she's 12, you're like, I don't even want to wear makeup. That's a hassle to have to deal with that every day. So I know I, I'm, I don't love putting makeup on every day. I get tired of it. I don't like routines like that, daily routines. So tell her she has to do it. She'll lose interest now. I'm just saying that keep it within the scope of, in your perception, it's her playtime. You're worried about her, this whole thing about her wanting to wear makeup outside the house. And it's like, well, you've already established. I would get real clear then on what she's going to be allowed to do when she's 12. And we do have, I think it's, I know I wrote an article somewhere in my world, maybe on the Carol blog. It would be a really good article for me to follow up with on the Child Whisper blog. So I'm going to have my producer make a note of that. Age appropriate. I know I've got an article already written. We just need to take it to the blog. Um, we'll follow up with that. That's a great piece. I don't, I don't think we've ever posted it. If not, uh, my producer will help me sort this out. But I listed different appropriate makeup for different teenage um like starting at, even at 10, like 8 to 10, what you're doing, the lip gloss, right on. That's what I say in my piece. 12, what would you then support a 12-year-old? How does What makeup is appropriate for different ages through a developing teen's years? That was the article. I gave a lot of guidance on that. So you'd have a little bit of a point of reference to say, yeah, that feels correct to me. Guide my daughter in that that she understands those guidelines so there's balance in this there's balance and make sure you check in with that it's just having fun with it it's playful rather than she thinks she looks better so again you want to um, be discerning about is there anything going on with this little eight-year-old that she doesn't feel attractive and that she needs this makeup and then again once we move into years where Again, there's such a variable. Your daughters are seeing what other girls are doing. This need to fit in can play into the makeup scene by either not wanting to do it because I don't want to sell out to thinking I have to be like everybody else or I have this huge need to fit in. And, and so now I'm doing overs and I'm being extreme that I have to do this so I get attention and I fit in, which... If I don't have the blog post up yet, I need to include that as well to give you some guidance in that because those are, again, opportunity. Anything that's playing out in extremes is an opportunity. It's feedback. What's the issue? What's the underlying issue that's influencing this extreme behavior? It's out of balance. That's one of the greatest things to learn as a child whispering parent is to always remind yourself of that rather than trying to change the effect of the behavior. What's the cause? Go back to the cause. What's, what's the less obvious thing that I need to be discerning about, receive inspiration about, intuitively receive guidance about now that I know my child's nature? Great, you remind yourself of that. That is what you're doing as a child whisperer. 
Now, another question, a little different topic. Um, this comes from a type four mom. She says, I was introduced to your Dressing Your Truth course six months ago, and I'm having a great time dressing my type four truth. Thank you for creating that. I have read The Child Whisperer, and I also have it on my iTunes, so I can listen to it in the car. It is helping me. It is helping tremendously. I had a very abusive childhood, and I buried everything and told myself that I'm a great survivor. Now I know that doing that just keeps me stuck. I used to fight with my husband and kids all the time. I complain constantly, trying to control everything. Currently, my husband, a type 3, is having some money and anger problems. My old house, let's see, my husband and I have two girls together, a type 2 13-year-old daughter and a type 4 11-year-old daughter. My 11-year-old just told me that she hates me for moving out of our old house and threatened to run away. She also said she hates being homeschooled. Now, this is the type 4 11-year-old daughter. She hates being homeschooled, so we enrolled her in a private school, which she loves. My 13-year-old has a friend who was caught shoplifting at the mall while my daughter was with her. She is upset that the friend's parents won't let them hang out together instead of being upset that her friend put her in that position to begin with. Should I just work on myself and leave them alone? I feel that they all would do and feel better if I wasn't here. I really need your help. Right now, I just feel like there is way too much dysfunction for me to clean myself up and be a good wife and mother. Not to mention getting my husband to parent the child whisper way instead of I'm the boss, do what I say way. Thank you for any insight and advice you could give to me. I am willing to do anything for my family, but I'm starting to feel defeated. Um, Mom, the good news is, this is the good news. It's like you're waking up in your messy place. You're starting to become aware. That's amazing. That is wonderful. Good for you. It can be a little painful and comfortable because you're looking now kind of like, whoa, you know, you have more insight. You have more awareness. You're waking up in this kind of dysfunctional mess that, that your family has gone into a state of imbalance and stress that you would like to help shift it. So you're asking me, do I start with myself first or do I work on my family? Well, I'd, I don't know if you've read my book, Remembering Wholeness. I'd start there because it does start with you. I would start with yourself. Life is a mirror for you. I have a chapter in Remembering Wholeness that speaks to this. Life is a mirror that reflects back to us what we believe. So as long as your inner self, your wounded child, is in pain, it will be shown through your world. As long as there is fear and you're still feeling that wounded party you still feels like a victim you'll feel very powerless and people won't listen to you anyway you won't have that ability to affect change you won't have your energy as you start to shift it because you first we experience the world first through vibration through energetic vibration and as you change the vibration of you that affects the space that you're the nucleus of your family and that, ex that affects your family environment in a huge way. It's amazing how as you start to shift, the family will start to shift. So I would definitely work on yourself. I have a lot of great resources at um, caroltuttle.com. My healing center takes you through short video healing clearing sessions for all kinds of themes, shame, um, 
you know, lack of confidence, lack, low self-esteem. Um, I've got like 25 healing sessions in there. You go to the Carol blog and look up many healing sessions on the Carol blog. For a year, you know, several years now, I've produced weekly mini healing sessions. There's a lot of material that I can support you with if you choose, you know, that route. And I definitely would work on yourself because, again, you're the nucleus of your family. As you shift your energy and come into a more a state of more wholeness and more and move out of the survivor energy your family will start to shift and then you're available to really receive inspiration in their behalf because you have a more, you know, your footing is more stable. You're intact. You're more intact. You're able to now guide the family and influence the family through your intention, through your communication, through your presence into a healthier place. That's the power of a woman. It truly is. It's a, you're very power. You're the most powerful member of your family to start to shift things. And your daughters are just showing you, because they're now 11 and 13, how unhappy and powerless you felt when you were 11 and 13. They are definitely your mirror. They are mirroring to you your anger and your sense of frustration and powerlessness that you never got to speak. The good news is, they feel safe with you, so they're speaking. They're saying things you might not want to hear, but they least feel safe to have a voice. That's a huge change. That's progress. You didn't even feel safe enough to have a voice to share your upsets and what you were angry about. So notice what's, the, what's positive here. Instead of feeling so defeated, recognize what's positive and what's happening for you because you do have an opportunity. Again, yes, I would say rather than feel defeated, feel encouraged, even though you're feeling the discomfort, you can still feel encouraged that there's something else um, you can change. You, these patterns don't have to keep wounding the family. The patterns you grew up with, the patterns you experienced don't have to now play out in your family and you're the one to change that. That's what I did for mine. And I was successful, and my children are amazing, and they're doing great. My marriage is phenomenal. But I've had to do a lot of work on that to change the patterns of my generations and my childhood. So go for it. You can do it. My next question, I'm a type 1 mom. My 5-year-old daughter is also a type 1. She's very friendly and rushes into situations to socialize with kids, even when they are older than her, and they're not interested in being her friend. For a while, the problem went away because I was able to put her in preschool with a close group of friends her age, and several other type 1 girls made her life heaven. But we've moved, and now she started regular school, and she's around older kids again. As I was pulling away after dropping her off at school, I noticed another older girl reject my daughter's social advances. It broke my heart. My daughter doesn't seem to mind so much, but when she found her preschool goodbye card with her old friends that afternoon, she started to cry because she misses them. How do I help her? I want to protect her feelings and people she wants to be friends with don't return the feelings or are scared by her active energy. Now, first of all, notice that what's coming up for you is whenever we feel that kind of emotional, you're dealing with your own experience of rejection. So that is triggering your rejection and you now want to protect her because you don't want her to have to go through rejection. 
So rather than try and prevent rejection, let's create healthy self-esteem in kids to be able to walk away from that or even not to make choices so that they're not setting themselves up for rejection, which you are doing. She's only five. And just to say, well, it's too bad that girl didn't want to play or connect with you because you're a lot of fun. And again, you need some time here to help develop her social network that she can then count on. She's just wanting to connect with people. She'll do this. Honor that part of her. She'll do it in the grocery line when she's in her, you know, you're maybe this, you're type one also. What is this bringing up for you that's reminiscent of your childhood that you don't want to have happen to her? But as you heal that, you can then create something to help her create something different and honor her her more gregarious outgoing nature to be this wonderful thing. Wow, how many five-year-olds can go up to an older child and be friendly? That's a great gift. I wonder what she's going to do with that in her life to create these amazing successful opportunities because you want to really nurture that ability and go, yeah, I'm, that was really amazing. You really, that was cool. Who cares what she did to you? <laughs> you know? Who cares how she responded? Her loss, not yours. I'm still impressed with the fact that you had the confidence to do that. Good for you. Focus on that, okay? Focus on her gift. And my last question comes in from a type, another type 1 mom. She says, I, I'm type 1 mom and I run an in-home daycare. It's great in so many ways, but my type 3, 20-month-old daughter is having a hard time with it. One of the little boys I was about four months old and twice her size, but she starts picking on him. The second he walks in the door, the more timid the child, the more she hits and steals toys for, from them. I cannot afford to stop doing daycare altogether, but I can't allow her to treat other kids. Think, I can't allow her to treat other children this way. Suggestions. I'm also expecting a baby any day now. Do you have any suggestions for pairing my daughter to be a big sister? The picking on the other kids thing started long ago, so why? Pregnancy can be affecting how aggressive she is to an extent. It's not 100% to blame. You know, children, type 3 children get aggressive when they're hungry, they're tired, and they're not outside enough. They don't get outdoors enough, and if they're being neglected by their parents. Uh, so you got to look at how are her physical needs. Are you meeting them? Are you giving her the support she needs first? Or is she feeling she falls second to all these other children? Is she your priority or does she feel that she is competing? See, this is competition and she's showing you she's willing to compete and, and win to get your attention. And type threes have a natural inclination to compete. And so that's just, she's competing. Eliminate what do you need to do to support her so eliminates her eat with other kids. So she's not um, set up. It's like she's being set up to have to compete. What do you need to do different? And ask yourself that. And look at those key things. And again, read the type three section in the Child Whisper book. Um, have some fun on both my blogs this week. We've got on the Child Whisper blog, want to discipline kids less when you're in public. I could also call that how to embarrass discipline your children in public. And on the Carol blog, you'll find this spreads faster than Ebola, how to avoid being infected. Go to thechildwhisper.com and thecarolblog.com. Enjoy those blog posts. Remember to like uh, the Child Whisperer on Facebook. Go to thechildfacebook.com forward slash thechildwhisperer. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Love yourselves. Be, be grateful for 
who you are. This is the time of year of gratitude. The, we're in November, the time of the live podcast. Create a wonderful week and an amazing holiday season with your family by leading with gratitude and what you are grateful for. Right now, I'm doing 30 days of thanks on Instagram if you want to join me there to remind yourself to give thanks the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States. So thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week. As a teacher, healer, speaker, best-selling author of The Child Whisperer, and mother of five children, Carol Tuttle is honored to help you take the power struggle out of parenting and better understand the children in your life. If you'd like Carol to answer your question, call in next time or email your question to parenting at liveyourtruth.com. Carol invites you to learn more about the four types of children at thechildwhisperer.com and connect with her at thecarolblog.com. If you haven't read The Child Whisperer yet, get your copy through the Child Whisperer website and enjoy happier, more successful, more cooperative children.